This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy War Pig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, February 17th, 2018. And on today's show, by the way, this is episode 131. We've done 130 prior episodes of this awesome podcast and many, many more to come. Today, we are talking about the brand new, absolutely brand spanking new Marvel movie. And by which I mean, of course, the fact that Thor's ex-roommate Daryl has moved in with the Grand Master. Have you seen Daryl and the Grand Master? I missed that one, Daddy Warpig. Daryl, who's a great guy. He's an office worker. He's a calm, down-to-earth guy. At one point, Thor moved in with him. And, and I would like to point out, for those of you that think I'm joking, these are real Marvel movies starring Chris Hemsworth. Okay? Thor had a lot of trouble kind of adjusting to Earth life figuring out the details of what to do during his day. He was always bothering Daryl. He's trying to pay for stuff with, with money from, you know, money from other planets halfway across the galaxy. Daryl, however, was an upstanding guy and really, really just kind of, you know, got together with, with Thor and made it work as a roommate. Um, Thor has apparently, since the events of the last Thor movie, he has moved out, he has, uh, leaving Daryl in need of a, 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 in need of a new roommate. So, in a short release just yesterday, the Grandmaster from the last Thor movie uh, moved in with Daryl and uh, now they're kind of in that adjustment period. And I think these, I think these shorts are both you know, they're really touching to show kind of the ground level operation of of the Marvel Universe. Um, and and I don't know how we're going to get half an hour because they are short. I don't know how we're going to get half an hour out of this brand new Marvel movie, but I am ready to go. And I have to do it on my own. You didn't even see it. What's the deal with that? Yeah, I. you know what? I went and saw a different film that was actually out in theaters. So... I I must have had my notes mixed up. I was I was I thought we were talking about something else. Okay, so you didn't see Team Daryl. Oh, I'm afraid I didn't. What movie did you go see? Uh, well, it was it was sort of a, a small, little known, uh, film. It's sort of a an art film, nerd, film, which was uh, Black Panther. Black Panther. It's yeah. it's like a biography of of the. Of the political group, South Central LA during the sixties. Well, it's it's a know. biography of a, a there's a political group involved, uh, a, a few, a few involved, though it, it wasn't in uh, it wasn't in LA. It started in San Francisco. Okay, I can see that. Well, yeah, well, I mean, Oakland, Oakland specifically. Oakland. Okay, I get that. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of radical political activists come from Oakland. Actually, um, actually, it started with spaceships. It started with spaceships. 
that's kind of an interesting twist. I, 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 I would not have put Huey Newton and spaceships together in the same, in the same kind of, uh, the same kind of milieu. That's, uh, well, it, it was a Marvel movie. They had another movie they released this week. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, I am, I am all ears. Tell me about this brand new Marvel movie, other than Team Daryl. That's just mean. Yeah. To release, that... release two Marvel movies the same week. They like guarantee that one of them is just going to be completely ignored, just fall off people's radar. That people aren't even going to see it. Yeah. I, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a link. To Team Daryl in the description below, just so people have a chance to see this this excellent Marvel movie. And if I can find the other ones, uh, I'll drop those in as well. Cool, thanks. Well, uh, Black Panther is the newest superhero movie from Marvel. The character is introduced in Captain America: Civil War. That's the uh, guy who wears the invulnerable black panther suit. Uh, who comes from the mysterious African nation of Wakanda. Uh, so it was a movie, it, it, was an, it was a superhero movie about that guy and Wakanda. That's that's it. That's what it was. Did you miss it? Hmm. Well, okay, I guess if we have to talk about it, I guess we can just skip Daryl. Oh, sorry, Daryl, you're a great guy. And I'm sure that, that that some other podcast will cover your personal story in more depth. So what, what did you think of Black Panther? Uh, honestly, it was just another uh, another formula Marvel superhero movie. I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't blown away by it. Uh, but uh, well, I, I could go into a lot more detail, but I want to I want to hear what you thought your your surface thoughts first. Um, and you have to understand that I have recently watched many movies of which this was not true. So I enjoyed the Black Panther. Um, that's it. I mean, I had fun watching it. I'm not saying it's the greatest movie in the world. I'm saying it's like deep, deep, deep and meaningful, unlike what uh, other people are claiming. But it was, it was a fun and enjoyable movie. People got dressed up in costumes. They had superhero names. They beat the crap out of each other. Um, there are several other ancillary combats. There's chases around the world, and each combat was different. Each combat was interesting. Um, you know, I, I the performances were all fine. Um, Andy Circus uh, just was Stop. having so much fun. So much fun in the movie. You couldn't help. Um, I just loved every minute his character was on the screen. Um, he played the he played the villain, the, the Claw, was it? Yeah. Or Mr. Claw. Not Mr. Dr. Claw. Claw. That's Inspector Gadget. Yes. <laughs> Be careful to keep those two straight. Um, but he just had so much fun. So much fun. Uh, while he was on the screen, um, that he was just hilarious to watch. You could tell he just got into that uh, into that character, and I thought the character was cool. Um, so, uh, Michael B. Jordan, um, and someone yeah. <laughs> 
someone pointed this out. Chris Evans played the Human Torch and ended up as Captain America. Michael B. Jordan played the Human Torch and ended up as uh, Killmonger in this movie. And so they've both been kind of redeemed from the curse of the Fantastic Four. Oh, that's great. I, did, I didn't know that was... Uh, I didn't know Chris Evans was in the uh, Human Torch in that previous installment. Yeah, with... Uh, uh, I don't even remember. Any, I mean, I remember like the actors' faces and stuff, but Michael Chiklis played the thing in those two movies. Two, holy cow! Yeah, they made two of those. I didn't see the second one. They were awful, though. I, I hear. <laughs> Actually, technically, I might have seen the second one, but I don't remember it. So, so let's talk about some of the good stuff. Um, Michael B. Jordan for me is at the top of the good stuff. The the his he, he's a great actor and he brought a typical nonsensical su- movie supervillain to life. Um, and and though if if I may dip into the bad, you know the the backstory and his motivations almost make no sense. But he he plays it with conviction and he's convincing as the the villain of the film. Uh, uh, I, he's just a great guy. I knew that Michael B. Jordan was an actor to keep an eye on after Creed. Um, and that that I, Fantastic Four and Creed are the only, and this movie, obviously, are the only movies I've seen him in. But man, he just, he knocked it out of the park in Creed. He just... I uh, you, remember, you remember The Wire? Yeah, I do remember The Wire. Yeah, he was Wallace in the first season of The Wire. I have to go back and remind myself who that character was. He he was the smart kid who who got in trouble and uh, and they thought that uh, he had betrayed them to the police. Okay. Now you I'm know who that he is. Did a great job. <laughs> yeah, it was it was one of the best uh, one of the best uh, characters and performances in the first season of The Wire. Um, one of the other people that shows up later on or early early on who you think is going to be like uh and it's really hard to describe things without getting into big spoilers accidentally um winston duke plays uh one of the leaders of the five wakandan tribes the white gorilla tribe who are traditionally rivals of the other four including uh, Black Panther's tribe, including Takala's tribe. And he was a significant character that he played was a significant um, part of the last uh, seasons, the last couple of seasons of Person of Interest. Um, I don't know if you remember season four of Person of Interest. I don't remember his character in it. Jogging Dominic. Him. Dominic, the guy was who's... Was that moving. Dominic? He's Dominic, yeah. I, I didn't even recognize him with the crazy uh, Marvel haircut and, and bearskin uh, uh, trappings. So, I mean, he's another actor who is legitimately a great actor that they cast. I mean, I think, I think they did a great job of 
whatever people say about the script, and I'm sure there are complaints that can be made about the script, they bothered to sit down and cast great actors so they could carry this off. Forrest Whitaker, Angela Bassett, the actors we've already uh, talked about, um, Lupita Nyong'o, um, who uh, became you know well known for being in Twelve Years a Slave four years ago, five years ago, um, and other people who are genuinely really really great actors, they put them in this comic book movie, and I, I think Chadwick Boseman um, did a great job as T'Challa in the last movie, and I think he did a a good job in this movie. Um, I didn't have any yeah. problems. I didn't have any complaints about his performance. Yeah, uh, I, I thought it was pretty good all around. I, I think Michael B. Jordan is the best of them, but even better than Forrest Whitaker, who's a bit of a ham. But um, Michael B. Jordan just carried off his scenes with so much conviction. Like, you could feel that character, um, that character was really intense, really believed what he was saying. Um he, he carried it off. He committed to the role, but didn't go like scenery chewing. He didn't go Al Pacino on it, right? Uh, yes. Late Al Pacino, at least. He just, in fact, he was he was almost clipped in some of the scenes um, where he got angry at someone and, and grabbed him and told him to straighten up and do what he told him. But it's a very short, intense sentence. You know, he didn't uh, linger over it. He didn't ham it up. He just slammed his performance and you believed him. He seemed like a really, really driven, um, obsessive guy. Yeah. Yeah. Really well done. Uh, and, and all the acting sort of, it reminds me of hunger games, uh, awful dumb script elevated by a really good cast. And, and the only, the only real complaint I had about the cast was the, um, Everybody putting on the African accent was really distracting, <laughs> even though it was appropriate for the setting. I mean, the movie's almost entirely set in uh, in Africa, but it was still still pretty distracting. A lot of the um, a lot of the actors, um, and this was the thread we were talking about before we came on the air. A lot of the actors themselves are actually actor African. The general, um, all of his like personal bodyguard or. Bald women, and that comes straight from the comic for whatever reason. Um, but the general is from Zimbabwe. Um, one of the major, the other major bodyguard is from Uganda. Um, the guy who played, who was his friend in the beginning, who wore the blue, um, the blue blanket. Um, he's from Uganda. Lupita Nyong'o is from Kenya. Uh, John Connie, who's his father who was killed in Civil War, but makes uh, an appearance in flashbacks in this movie. He's from South Africa. So um, <laughs> a lot of people were upset because they shot this in America, but the actors are from uh, Africa. And a lot of the fashion they use is native African fashion. That was um, one of the other things that I really liked about Black Panther. Uh, aside from the actors' performances, I really liked the costumes. It was it was fun, it was colorful, and, and 
and you you were telling me that they drew from a lot of different African cultures for that. Yeah, um, I drew from like uh, Sermon Musi tribes, and I, I, again, I'm reading this thread on Twitter, so this is not information I'm pulling out of my brain. I don't want I don't want the audience listening to this show. You you may realize and be impressed by my no doubt vast and imposing intelligence. However. I do not want to pretend as if these are facts I got off the top of my head. I am literally reading what someone else wrote, so I want to be level with you on the audience and not pretend to be smarter than I already am. Um, uh, a lot of the fashion choices were made from the Sermon Mercy tribes in Ethiopia. That was the disc in the man's uh, lip. Um, the queen, T'Challa's mom, wears a Zulu uh, headdress, the uh, the uniforms worn by the palace guard and the general are futurized, ornamented versions of Maasai dress. Um, they live in East Africa, Southern Kenya. Um, the mask that Jordan B. Peterson plucks out of the museum and then wears in one scene um, is used by the Igbo tribe. Um, the blanket that we were just talking about, that blue blanket is called a Basotho blanket. It's used by the Sesotho people. In the, um, and then, of course, the rings that the general has on her neck um, are from uh, tribes from Zimbabwe and South Africa who wear those neck rings. And, and there's several other, uh, you know, other elements here. She goes on for a little while. Um, but yeah, they, they borrowed from many, many, many different uh, tribal dress to make them make the movie visually stand out uh, in stark contrast to all the other Marvel movies. Um, so yeah, that was very well done. Yeah, because Thor Ragnarok was colorful in a sort of in a retro space alien kind of way, and, and same thing for Guardians of the Galaxy. But this one is is colorful in a in a real earth sense they they didn't necessarily make shit up aside from the spaceships um so let's talk about the bad stuff what what was it about this movie that you thought didn't work particularly um the honestly i i wasn't going along with the themes or the the plot really or the motivations of the characters uh, i think marvel made the i mean they made the right choice because they there's lots of they keep mentioning the slave trade and and the colon they're referring to americans even as as the colonizers and, and things like that and most of that stuff is just sort of half-heartedly done in the script and half-heartedly done by the uh, characters. It's more like, you know, we, we kind of have to say this stuff and then because we're really just going to move on to the next set-piece fight. So there's there's this confused jumble of the main antagonist's motivation. The guy played by... What, what was the character's name? I don't even remember the character's name. Damn you, I just... Killmonger. Killmonger is his like code name. I was gonna say. I just closed the IMDb tab. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Killmonger. So he's 
he's a trained killer and he wants to take over Wakanda and use it as a weapon of war, I guess. But then he's he's spouting off SJW nonsense like, you know, get back at the colonizers or or a lot of people are chast uh, sorry, this leads to another theme in, in in the film telling Wakanda, you know, they failed. They didn't protect their people when they were being sent off in chains and, and so on and so forth. And 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 the movie just sort of scratches the surface of that. But as a as a kid raised in Oakland on on the streets and you know who who turned into a you know a ruthless killer for the military, that that doesn't seem like it, it seems like the the earlier the motivation at the end of the movie where he's like I just kind of wanted to take it over take over Wakanda so that I could wage war on the world like that sort of made sense sort of. If if it sounds difficult to understand, it's because the the film didn't do a great job of really laying out his motivations. Like he's sad and angry about his father, uh, who was killed and you know orphaned him, and he's angry at life or or something. And he's he's trained at at overthrowing countries, so I, he's just going to do that, I guess. The um. The worry a lot of people to, had. Uh, going I, I was into just the trying, movie, trying not to spoil. Sorry. The worry a lot of people had going into the movie was that it was going to be a big political lecture, like top to bottom, left to right, and it really isn't. There are a couple of political things mentioned, but by and large, that that has pretty much nothing to do with the movie. They're just they kind of pay lip service to it. It's just there. And if just being there once or twice in the movie is enough to aggravate you and make you not enjoy the movie, then okay, just just take that as the warning. As a warning, it is there a little bit in you know a couple of speeches that the um, villain gives and a couple of other little lines here and there. That said, um, I think the biggest knock on this movie, um, I mean, th this movie is a Marvel movie, right? And it sure is. If you enjoy the Marvel movies, this is a good Marvel movie. It's not a bad Marvel movie. I mean, Iron Man 3, I thought was terrible. That's a bad Marvel movie, which still makes it better than most movies, but that was not a good Marvel movie. Um, I thought Age of Ultron, not a good Marvel movie. Um, whereas I thought that, like, The Winter Soldier is one of the best Marvel movies. Um, the Avengers... The original The Avengers, one of the best Marvel movies. Um, and obviously Civil War, one of the best Marvel movies. Um, this is a pretty good Marvel movie. It's better than most of the other Marvel movies, I would say. In terms of enjoyment, I got out of it. Yeah, that's it's like I said, the, the writers were either wise enough to leave that stuff in the background. Like, this is just window dressing. We know you want to move on to the next cool superhero CGI fight scene, so let's just let's get this out of the way. Or they were wise enough to realize that they, did, they didn't have the chops to uh, handle the material with, you know, intelligence. The 
backdrop of the movie, of course, it follows from the events in uh, Captain America Civil War, where the Black Panther's father, who's the king of Wakanda, is assassinated, along with a bunch of other people. So this film sort of happens, it doesn't really follow the fallout of, of that death, but it happens during it. Uh, as as you might uh, expect, there are lots of consequences and ramifications to a king of a super powerful nation uh, being assassinated. Uh, you'd think that would be easy, considering he had exactly one son to be the heir, but anyway, uh, better writers could have made a really interesting film out of it that had nothing to do with guys in suits running around punching each other. Uh, they could have done a really interesting story with trying to make sense of the really dumb backstory of Wakanda. Is that, um, you know, space metal made them super powerful and, and, and super intelligent, and but they, they hid it all to themselves. To, so, you know, a, an intelligent or a wise even scriptwriter could have turned that into a, a different kind of movie, something that was really interesting. Maybe something that, say, a Zack Snyder would do with the DC universe, right? Try to do something intelligent or, or thoughtful or adult about it. But they're either, they're, they were wise enough to realize that they didn't want to do that because it's a Marvel movie, or wise enough to realize that they didn't have the chops because they were hired to write a Marvel movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, here's some of the notes I took. I took one page of notes. Um, the movie has, on the whole, really, really great special effects. Just absolutely fabulous special effects. But you expect that from um, major movies, uh, especially Marvel movies. Um, double especially since they're owned by Disney now. But there is one, uh, the scene where he's getting set up to... Um, assume the mantle of the king and getting ready to take challengers. When they're focused down on that shot and he, it's just him and two other characters, it is so obviously green screened. It, it looked bad. It looked really, really bad. The background terrain just looked fake. Um, so most of the movie has great special effects. This one scene just didn't. Um, there's no explanation for vibranium or vibranium tech or Wakandan society. And I'm not talking in terms of like backstory. I'm talking in terms like they don't even mention anything. They don't even pretend to tell you what Wakandan society is really like. Like, what is it like to live in Wakanda? How does that work? Is it, if it's a kingship, how do the four tribes interact? Do they stay on their own lands or do they go on other people's lands? There's a bunch of tribesmen who live on the outskirts to give the impression to the world that this is a poor country. And we actually see that at one point. Them dressing up as if they were just poor African tribesmen. But there's no mention of who are those people? Are they border guards? Or are they, you know, the poor in Wakanda? Are they assigned to do it where they have to leave their nice, comfortable life in the city? Um, I thought about that too. <laughs> and, and head out. I mean, I'm not saying that you necessarily needed that, but it's like they completely avoided 
mentioning all of that, and it's kind of this unstated hole in the explanation. I mean, they don't even have an explanation of like, you know, the lithium crystals. Well, what are the lithium crystals? Nobody knows, nobody cares, but they make this Starship Enterprise go, and occasionally uh, the thing that they're in blows up. Okay, well, that's enough. There's at least something there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really hard to it's really hard to believe. I was thinking that too. Is, is the those farmers out there in the so-called poor farming, you know, agricultural nation of Wakanda? Is that their jury duty? Like, do they get a <laughs> thing in the? Oh shoot, they they got a thing in the mail saying, "Man, I have to go work on the farm next month." Oh, <laughs> that's o that's okay. I mean, there, there's there's no explanation for. Yeah, okay. So they make their capital city. This technological marvel, they make it invisible. So Wakanda's just one city state. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, how do they keep? They can keep it physically, you know, invisible. But how do they keep their presence and their power and vibranium hidden, you know, over the centuries? How, how did they do it? Uh, which is actually something that uh, that the Black Panther sort of, kind of engages and and once again if written by someone who is not writing a Marvel movie and instead of writing an actual thoughtful analysis would have made an interesting conflict out of it, but I, I'm avoiding spoilers, because it, it's it's a Marvel movie. You might want to see it. This is the funny thing I thought. The thing that, that I thought going through the whole movie was that vibranium is great as a metal and all, but that doesn't necessarily lead to them becoming super technologically advanced. At least there's no explanation of it. And what I thought would, would have been far more interesting is that, uh, not interesting necessarily, but would have made far more sense, especially in context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and setting up connections to the rest of it, is that um, inside this vibranium mountain that was originally a meteor, they find some kind of crashed alien starship that crashed there a million years ago. And all of the technology they have is because these aliens used vibranium and they got, they gleaned from this abandoned starship, uh, their technology that would have at least made their whole technology make sense, how you could develop. So you've got a mountain of the strongest metal on earth. Okay. That's fine. How do you build a technological base from that? How do you mine yeah. it? How do you smelt it? How does that lead you to make discoveries in electronics? And and these are kind of nitpicks because someone can accurately say, that's not the point of the movie. And I'm like, you're right. That's not the point of the movie, but it's not even pretending to be addressed. They didn't even do a hand wave to address it. Um, you know, something like, well, vibranium... Uh, naturally forms nanites. They mentioned nanites at one point uh, in, in connection with his new uniform, which is really cool. I thought his new uniform was great. Uh, I thought the special effects of it in, in not the visual computer, but like what it can do for the wearer. I thought that was kind of interesting. You get hit, you, you save up kinetic energy, and then you can release it um, to do stuff. I thought that was interesting. But, but they yeah. don't even pretend to give even a half-assed explanation for that. Not, not at all. It's, it's, it, it's just magic. It, I mean, it's just magic. Ant-Man gave an explanation for the shrinking. Captain America gave an explanation for his shield. Iron Man gave an explanation for how the you know, repulsors work. Um, all of the... Even in Thor, 
there was an implicit explanation that this wasn't really magic. This was actually technology and very, very super advanced technology. Um, they didn't even make a half-hearted explanation um, or even a hand-wavy explanation. Like even Star Trek, right? The 2007, wow, is that really, the really 2007, 2009? The 2009 Star Trek, that's not much better, eight years ago. Um, they made a half-hearted explanation of how you could blow up Vulcan. Well, it's red matter. Okay, what the hell is red matter? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, th that was about the level of, they, they may as well have just have said, hey, we've got a big mountain of red matter. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, what can I say? It's it's just magic. They don't they don't explain how, how, it's not just a metal, right? It's obviously more than just a metal because if it's just a really hard metal, they would need like you mentioned smelting. I mean, the I if I'm not mistaken, the major technological breakthroughs required to move into the Iron Age and actually smelt iron ore was they had to be able to get a high enough heat to smelt it. Yes, it it has to do it has to do with the melting point of the metal itself. So what just, what about the mere existence of vibranium? gave them the ability to be technologically advanced. You know what I mean? Like you said, an alien spaceship would impart the knowledge or something like that. My per The personal way I would go with it is that it's all uh, blood of an old god that fell to Earth millions of oh, years ago. Like the, like the uh, first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Something like that. Where they're, they're literally mining in the head of... Uh... Uh, the Celestials, who are the old gods of the Marvel universe. Um, yeah, I, I was I was thinking more from the Cthulhu mythos, but but that works too. <laughs> um, but but all of that was basically just a lack of something that should have been in the movie, and that doesn't necessarily. I don't know that an average audience member would notice that that lack. I don't think they would notice it or care. Um, yeah, I noticed like, like I was saying, they, they just kept everything moving on along at a bare minimum so that you could f have fun and, and enjoy the action scenes. And they did it well. I mean, there were plot holes I noticed. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure the whole movie's one big plot hole, but who cares? <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, this movie has fallen into that kind of gap where you're not allowed to criticize it, otherwise you're a bad person. Like the 2016 Ghostbusters. Right, you're not allowed to criticize it, or you're a bad person. Um, and there have been a couple of movies recently, and I think in 2016 Ghostbusters, so that was basically like a deliberate marketing campaign by Paul Feig and Sony because their movie was garbage and they knew it. Um, 
And I remember there being at least one more major one since then, but I don't remember what it was. Like a really, really terrible movie where you were forbidden to say it was a terrible movie because it was politically offensive. I had a lot of people in posts going back to, you know, August of last year, November of last year saying, if you don't like Black Panther, you're racist. There's no other option. I'm like, it's just not true. I can't physically be true if you're making a movie that the only reason to say it's bad is because is of racism. They could have screwed up all the special effects and then you could have said it's bad to get terrible special effects. It looks like crap. Black Panther doesn't look like crap. But if that were true, you could say that and you wouldn't be racist. The people might have turned in bad performances. They didn't, by and large. They turned in great performances. But you could have said that. That's a valid reason to critique this movie. And I think if you look at, and I'm just going to say this right out, if you look at the percentage scores the difference um, between the audience scores and the, and, and I'm talking specifically on Rotten Tomatoes. And the reason why I'm talking on Rotten Tomatoes is because Rotten Tomatoes is a, um, it's a score aggregate site. Like Metacritic, I don't know which one came first, it doesn't matter. Like Metacritic, they take a bunch of different scores from a bunch of different people and average that out from a bunch of different critics give you an audience score and give you the average score based on the critics. Well, two people, there were two reviews who said that Black Panther wasn't very good. So it used to be at 100%, and then it dipped down to 98%, and now it's at 97%. This is a good movie. This is a fun movie. But the critics are at 97%, the audience is at 74%, and I would rate it higher than the audience does, but it is nowhere near a 97% movie. Yeah, man, it is I, It is definitely a 74% movie. This is not... Uh, even even the, the best Marvel movies, maybe 90%. I would say that this was a... Um, I would say this is an 80%, at least in my mind. And I understand that people... Uh, you can disagree with that reasonably. I could see you, you know, depending on how much weight you wanted to put on what you thought were plot holes or whatever, I could see you pushing that, or, or if you didn't like action. I mean, if you don't like action scenes, and this movie is, let's, let's be perfectly honest, this movie is, um, if you made a necklace out of big hunks of diamond, the wire around them is very, very thin as, almost non-existent. It's basically just there to hold the diamonds in place. This movie, the diamonds are the action scenes, the combat scenes, and everything else is that thin silver wire, gold wire, that just holds the diamonds in place. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I think here's here's my objection to that, because it, it's a Marvel movie. It's, it's a modern Disney movie. And I had to tell myself in the first action scene, it's okay, John, you're not watching a Kung Fu movie. It's okay for it to be like this because it's got its PG-13 rating. It's comic books. It's written. It's made for kids. And it is – there are no impacts shown. There, Everything's done in a quick cut 
blurry style so that you know that things are happening, but you don't know exactly who's punching whom or who's shooting whom necessarily at every in every scene. the The clearest it gets was was a fun um, a fun fight in a underground casino, and the and what's her name, the bald lady with the spear is just like whipping her spear around. That's as close as it gets to actually understanding the action and and what's going on. And so Americans go, go ahead and finish. I'm, I'm ticked. You, you ran across one of the things that ticks me off. So, well, it's, it's, just, it's just, that's, that's what action movies are like these days, especially the PG 13 ones. And it's it, it, the action was fun, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't engaging. And in the same way that, uh, you know, an actual Kung Fu movie where they actually shoot the, the strikes and, and, and action where you can actually follow, the battlefield and and what's happening where it's you lose that sense of spatial awareness um and i took away from from my enjoyment but as soon as i told myself you're not you're not here to watch a kung fu movie you're here to watch a comic book movie it, it made it made it, it, i was okay with the rest of the film um the mpaa the motion picture association of america and i've ran it about this before i'm not sure i've ran it about this before on this show and in my uh blog posts on the Castelli House blog, so I'm going to do it again because it still pisses me off. The MPAA, who hands out ratings for movies, they're what determines whether a movie's PG-13 or R or whatever, has decided in the past five, six, seven years, stupidly, wrongly, idiotically, bizarrely decided that if you can see a strike, a punch land, it makes the movie R rated. So, the Karate Kid, if it was released today, would have to have a hard R rating. Would have to have an R rating. And they're saying that the Karate Kid is just as violent as the original RoboCop. In effect, that's what they're saying. That there is no difference between those two movies. There's no difference between the level of violence or blood or gore. The Karate Kid... Um, any action movie where they show you punching people. So basically, everything from the 1980s that wasn't already R it would now have to be R. Um, Big Trouble in Little China, R-rated. And it is bizarre, and it's stupid, and it wrecks movies because it means that it robs the physical combats, the punching, kicking combats, of their visceral impact. It makes a notable difference in... Um, whether or not the fights feel uh, visceral, real, moving, whether they impact the audience emotionally and uh, subconsciously. And it uh, forces filmmakers to shoot so that you don't ever see fists land. You see the blow coming in, you see the blow coming out, but you never see the impact. And it just looks dumb. It would be like forcing everyone who made a romantic comedy that you couldn't ever show kisses or it would be an R rating. That you could show the guy leaning in and you could show them coming out, but you couldn't show the lips touching because that's R rated. That's how stupid American movie ratings have become. And it, and it just pisses me off. It's the worst. 
and and for anybody wondering why it's uh, the difference between an R rating and a PG thirteen rating is millions and millions of dollars. That they they will lose money because fewer people go see R movies. There are there are still people out there who won't take their kids to see R movies. You know, Deadpool was famous for being the first Marvel MCU film with an R rating. Yeah, and, and Deadpool wasn't uh, wasn't made by Marvel. It was made by Fox. It was part of the X Men franchise, so um, they didn't have anything to do with it. It's not technically an MCU movie. Oh, I thought it was a I thought it was an MCU movie. No, it's an X Men movie. It, it exists over in the X Men universe um, with First Class and you know the two thousand and one X Men things like that. Marvel Comics makes the comics. I guess tech in a technical sense nowadays, because Marvel Comics doesn't make good comics. They don't even make comics anymore. They make comic-like parodies typically. Um, they loosely resemble comics, but aren't actually really comics. It's a whole other uh, rant. But um, well, I mean, I mean, so so between the revenue loss and the fact that Marvel's owned by Disney now anyway, they're they're going to shoot for that PG thirteen, even in a fun action-based yeah film. There is no reason for this movie to have to gimp itself, except for what um, what the MPAA has decided. And I have no idea whether or even how um, you could get them to reverse those decisions, but they are materially impacting and making American action movies worse. Um, just just in, in terrible, terrible ways. So... Yeah, I had fun in, in Black Panther. And there were a lot of people lining up before the movie to tell me, oh, yeah, you can't say it's a bad movie or you're a bad person. So I was ready. I mean, I was uh, I didn't want it to be bad. Like I tweeted before I went and saw the movie, I wanted it to be a good movie. But I was ready. If it was a bad movie, to come on the show and just absolutely excoriate it for being a terrible movie. That's uh, funny. I, did people actually did say that to you? Yeah, they tweeted that out. They didn't say it to me in person, to my face. Oh, but okay. things like that were tweeted out. You know, uh, in fact, some people tweeted out that you know, if you're a white person, you just can't talk about Black Panther at all. You just shut up. <laughs> you know, if you're a white person and you wear the Black Panther costume for Halloween, it's cultural appropriation. Um, and I'm like, you can't appropriate. Even if, assuming cultural appropriation were a real thing and not just some made-up stupid thing that easily offended people invented so they could justify being easily offended. Even if it were a real thing, you can't appropriate a culture that doesn't exist, okay? No one owns it. It's not a culture. It's not real, okay? You can't appropriate... Middle Earth culture or Hobbit culture? You can't. It doesn't exist. It's fictional. Moreover, Wakanda and the character of the Black Panther were created by two Jewish guys. They were Americans. Comic books are the American art form, the American genre, superhero comics. The American genre. The two greatest genres created by America are the Western and 
superhero comics. You can't, white people can't appropriate something that white people invented in the first place. Stupid. So I was ready to come on the show and say, hey, this movie is bad. It's terrible. Here's all the things they did wrong. But it's not a terrible movie. And the other thing is, and I was going to mention this, uh, we got kind of lost. There's a lot of people who told me that, like, they're not going to go see the movie because they're so tired of being lectured to. Oh, by the way, I remembered what the third movie was. The third movie in this trilogy of movies you're not allowed to say are crap because if you say they're garbage, then, um, then you're evil. The first one was Ghostbusters. The second one was The Last Jedi. And the third one was Black Panther. So you could see where all the buildup to Black Panther, where all the people saying, you're not allowed to criticize this. Otherwise, you're evil. Why it looked bad. It made it look like they didn't believe in Black Panther. It made it look like they thought Black Panther, somewhere in the back of their minds, they were worried that Black Panther was going to be another Last Jedi. It was going to be another Ghostbusters 2016. Um, and... Even though it's not, even though it's a good movie, there are a lot of people who are putting off seeing it in the theaters or putting off seeing it until it comes on Netflix or, or HBO or whatever, precisely because they're tired of being lectured to, precisely because they're tired of this marketing crap that was played out in 2016 with Ghostbusters, that was played out in 2017 with The Last Jedi, and now is playing out in 2018 with Black Panther. I mean, you just can't keep on marking movies off and saying, these movies are completely immune to criticism. No one is allowed to criticize this movie. If you're white, you can't say it's bad. And some people were even saying, if you're white, you can't go see the movie the first night because that's our night. That's our night, the first night. Opening night is our night. White people have to go see it the second night. I'm like, dude, no. We'll go see it whenever the hell we want. Um, so And and they did. Sales are, are pretty high, actually. I'd, I'd, go ahead. So the movie isn't a bad movie. There was the ritual, you know, lip service paid to politics or whatever. Uh, but it's the villain who's the SJW. Um, and T'Challa, the hero, is the one that says, um, the one that says, you know, we need to reach out to the world and all people on planet Earth are one tribe and we have more in common, yada, yada, yada. There shouldn't be, you know, artificial differences made between white people and black people. And, you know, he's the one who's giving the speech for racial healing that uh, that SJWs absolutely hate now, that, that you're racist. You're a racist and a white supremacist and a Nazi if you say what T'Challa says at the end of this movie. Um, if we can move out of the serious discussion, sorry, you just have to, oh, that's why I hate these kind of defenses of movies is, is at some point you have to veer off and address the stupid ideological propagandistic BS pumped into the popular culture. Keep your poison out of my stuff. Just get the hell out. Go back to Brown University or wherever the hell you came from. Sit around in your drum circle lecturing each other about your bullshit politics. Keep it out of comic books. Keep it out of movies. Keep it out of TV shows. You're poisoned. Or don't. That's just fine. 
because I know a bunch of creators who are coming up who are going to be writing the next generation of comics and books and maybe movies and TV shows. And the more poisonous propaganda that you idiots pump into it, the better off it is for them. So by all means, keep going. We're making an alternate culture and it will be free of the, your poison. And so it will be better. So the more you stick propaganda in your books, the more money people I know, writers in the Pulp Revolution and other places will make. So by all means, keep doing it. Setting that aside, this was something that I was not supposed to laugh at. Uh, but I couldn't help laughing at this. Just all through the end of the last scenes of the movie and just after we got out of the movie, T'Challa, in his final speech to the UN, um, he slips in, and I don't think this was, because movies have a huge long lead time. This movie was, you know, in the can and being put into special effects like six, seven months ago. They haven't, you know, unless they had pickups they had to shoot, that was it. That was the movie. So they missed this, but it's hilarious because it's just the biggest coincidence in the world. T'Challa says that Wakanda will help the world find the way. <laughs> That's great. I did I missed that. Wakandan Knuckles made an appearance in the movie. <laughs> Memes are real. <laughs> Now, I said this out last night. I mentioned that after I got out of the movie. And so uh, one of the people I know made a uh, Knuckles in the Black Panther costume, uh, which I thought was hilarious. I tweeted that out. And I got in response to it someone who had one-up that already. I mean, the movie came out two days ago. They already one-upped it. It's Knuckles, you know, the un- the misshapen Ugandan Knuckles in the Black Panther outfit done in a 3D modeling program. Cool. So, <laughs> if, you, if you need to know the way, brothers, King T'Challa is here to show you the way. <laughs> oh, by the way, that meme just totally racist. Everyone who shared that meme, even if you're black, I know a lot of people who are black who shared that meme, you're racist, you hate black people. Um, it goes double if you're white, and I think triple if you're uh, a hedgehog. So you've got to be careful. You can't share that meme or, or laugh at that meme because you're racist. So, <laughs> um, I am still pissed off at the MPAA, and I will be until they reverse that decision. Until we're allowed to start making PG thirteen action movies with actual freaking action in them. Uh, I'm still going to be ticked off every time that subject comes up. I, I, I did it like last week, last Sunday, when I, I published my post was about how stupid the MPAA is for, you know, making um, Big Trouble in Little China would be R-rated just because a guy punched somebody, somebody else. No head explosions. You know, no organs flopping across the floor. No bloody torture scenes as people are uh, die from being chopped apart. No, no, no. Just punching someone is enough to get you in our rating. It's, it's stupid. Um, so 
back off on the back to the movie. I thought it was good. I thought it was a B plus Marvel movie. Um, a lot of people have complained about the Marvel movies because they say that the main villains are always like a mirror image of the hero. Yeah, well, in this case, it's it's true and it's not true because the they they're two different characters, but ultimately the Black Panther has to fight another guy with Black Panther powers. Yes. Like Iron Monger and Iron Man and Ant-Man Scorpion. And this is, you know, Black Panther and another guy in a Black Panther suit with the same powers. Um, but that didn't ruin the movie. That didn't actually bother me because I liked each of those movies on their own. Um, so I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good Marvel movie. If you like Marvel movies, and the next Marvel movie is coming out in May. Um, if you can believe it. Oh, I, I can. They, their, their production is rolling along. How quickly did they come out with what four Star Wars movies after they, after they bought the, after they bought Lucasfilm, they bought Star Wars. They, they came out with four of them in rapid fire. I think they've been listening. I think they've been listening to Nick Cole about getting something out every month. (laughs) They've been releasing one, um, Star Wars movie a year. They might be speeding that up because the next one isn't coming out the end of the year. It's coming out also in May, uh, oddly enough, or, or somewhere around there. Um, and their Marvel movies, as far as I'm aware of, they're shooting for um, three Marvel movies a year. So for this year, there's Infinity War in May and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Next year is Captain Marvel and an untitled movie. We don't know what it's about is the fourth Marvel movie. And after that, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And that takes us out to 2020. So um, they've got this slate of movies that are coming out uh, three a year. So, and and I I assume they're going to keep on doing that until the whole superhero craze collapses, probably because of something DC does. Like when when a genre gets overplayed, it gets overstuffed. Typically, what happens is somebody launches a big budget version, a big budget western or a big budget whatever. Spend way too money on it, tries to make a huge splash. The movie fails. Maybe drags the production company under. Maybe drags you know part of the studio under. And then everybody runs away from that genre because all of a sudden it's toxic, absolutely toxic. And so they don't make any more movies in that genre for like two generations. Um, I actually have a prediction that 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 doesn't quite run with yours. Go for it. So Marvel's got Marvel's got this great house style, right? Yes. Uh, I I happen to think there's a little too much Whedon influence on it. I, I wish that had remained with the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I digress. I predict that. When the superhero movie bubble collapses, uh, we're all going to look back and see at how corny, mediocre, cheesy a lot of these movies are. And a lot of them are fun as we watch them. But I'm not going to go and rewatch any of these. When that whole thing collapses, the only superhero movies people are going to go back and watch besides the big two or three that were, were generally good, are going to be some of the DC ones. Because they didn't have a house style. They got, for a lot of them, they got someone like Zack Snyder 
to put his mark on the series or Christopher Nolan on his Batmans. Uh, will will any of them stand the test of time? I don't know. But ask me five years from now. Let's talk about this five years from now. I think the DC movies, at least the, the Batman, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, they're going to be the ones that people remember. And we're all going to look back at... Uh, at those Marvel movies saying, yeah, that was that was a fun craze. Those movies were fun. I don't want to watch them again. That's my prediction. I would like to think that Winter Soldier, Civil War would be rewatchable uh, for a long time and maybe Avengers. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, it, it, you know, once you've seen a movie four or five times, it, it really, the replayability of movies drops off sharply after the first time you've seen it. Very few movies are worth watching twice. Um, and that's a big drop-off. But I, I would like that some movies you can perpetually see, and they're still good. Um, and yes. Yeah, speaking of which, I had, I, we talked about this on Twitter. I hadn't seen The Sting. Totally not a superhero movie. I hadn't seen The Sting in like 20 years. I put it on the other day. Awesome. Great movie. Amazing uh, amazing actors. Stands the test of time. Um, yeah. I, uh, I really wish I had the feeling like... Um, I really wish I felt like this. Um, the latest movies, or even pop culture, American pop culture for the last 10, 15 years, I really wish I felt like it was producing landmark works that would stand the test of time. But by and large, it isn't. Um, I, I think American pop culture, at least, is becoming far too reliant on recycling things that used to work, far too reliant on spectacle and special effects. And I don't think the people that are making it know what a hero is or how to present a hero in a fictional world. I mean, I, I don't think they know what heroes are and can make fiction that depicts heroes. I think they're stealing stories um, that showed heroes, made at a time when people knew what heroes are, and so they're making movies that kind of show that, but it's almost like secondhand. It's like a photocopy of what a hero was instead of an actual hero. Um, imitation, that's what I'm saying. It's an imitation. They're trying very, very hard to make them heroes, but they don't really know how to do it. So they're not really convincing, with some exceptions. I mean, I think if you have an individual creator who has a good idea, um, but most of those guys are kind of old, old school people who were got into this stuff long before 2000. Um, I think that Sylvester Stallone still knows what heroes are and can still make movies with heroes in them. I think that John Rambo, which is Rambo 4, was a movie about heroes. And I think as... Um, kind of gimmicky as the casting is, that the first Expendables movie really is about heroes. And I think you can, um, if you look past all the action, 
to look at the themes and the choices that the characters make, I think those movies uh, really are about heroes uh, and about heroism. And then a lot of the biographical movies, and, and I talked about this two weeks ago um, on my Castalia House um, post. I think that um, the firefighter movie that came out this year, uh, 12 Strong that came out just a few weeks ago, um, and movies like that, uh, in uh, American Sniper, I think, is another great one. To the extent that these are autobiographical movies and to the extent that they stay true to the themes and morals and actions of a heroic person who was in real life heroic, I think you can make a heroic movie. But that excludes, by definition, all of geek culture. Because if you're making an autobiographical movie, then you're not going to be making Lord of the Rings. You're not going to be making Star Wars. Um and so I, I really think that especially in what you would call geek culture or speculative fiction, right? Fantasy, science fiction, steampunk, comic books, on and on and on. I think that the core producers, the people who have been pushed by uh, books, comic books, by the traditional uh, East Coast publishing world, I think that they have forgotten how to make good and compelling heroes. And there are individuals who can do it still, but I think that they forgot. And it worries me because I don't think we're making lasting culture. And I think that we've walled off so much of culture behind draconian copyright laws that f uh, favorite characters that in ages past, could have we could have told tales about them because they would have been out of copyright and we could use them now. I think that they're now locked up by corporations. Um, you know, they may as well be locked up for a hundred years because, um, you know, we're not going to be able to make movies or tell stories or write books about them until sometime late in this century. Uh, so it may as well be never. Um, I think that we've lost something in our culture has gone soft. Something in our culture has gone rotten. And we have lost the knowledge of what heroism is. We've lost the admiration for heroism in and among, not among necessarily everybody in the, in the country, but among those people who are making culture. I think that they've lost heroism as an ideal. I think they've lost it as a, even an intuition, intuitive knowledge of what heroism is. I think that, but I think that there is an alternative culture coming up, a counterculture, a true counterculture, a counter to the modern soft, um, spineless, weak, um, effeminate um, culture that we can, uh, that there are people who can write stories about heroes and they are a small group of them that are just starting their careers out, but I predict that um, they're going to have an impact, a, a uh, an outsized impact, an impact out of proportion to the number of them and out of proportion to um, what you would expect. Humble, obscure people from many different backgrounds, none of whom have the advantages of, of you know, having family or friends deep inside publishing culture. I think they're, they're going to make an outsized impact 
far beyond what you could reasonably expect. And I think that those people can give us an alternative to the, I mean, what would you call it? What would you call a culture that has lost heroism? I, mean, I, I don't even have a term for that. It's so strange to me. It's so strange in history. Every culture has had heroes. And, and our culture has forgotten how to have heroes. At least those groups of people who write imaginative speculative fiction, or, or most of them, not all of them, most of them. So what would you do? And, and that's the majority of pop culture now, right? Action movies and things like that, they're dominated by geek culture. And yet the epitome of geek culture, the epitome of modern geek culture is Ready Player One that's coming out that is basically recycled from the fragments of a thousand different other works. It's a thousand different other works with things you recognize from them pulled out of it, slammed together in one book and then one movie. Um, and the whole movie is about pretending that this is a hero, pretending that this is heroism, when they're not a hero, when they're not heroic, when the people who made the book and the people who made the movie, people who wrote the script, have lost grasp. They've lost the knowledge of what a hero is, of what heroism is. Um, it, I don't know what, I don't know what the term is for a culture like that. I don't, if cultures like that have existed before, they don't exist for long because without an aspiration, without aspirational stories, without something to look forward, or look up to, your culture doesn't make real people. Because the reason why we, we learn about heroes, the reason why we have stories of heroes is because people have to have something to look up to. People have to have something to inspire them. You have to assume on a core level that courage and, and self-sacrifice and risking your life and learning how to be dangerous just in case uh, an evil person threatens the innocent, learning how to hone your capacity to be dangerous. You have to build that in on an instinctive level, so that's just assumed to be the case, that even if a man themselves lacks the capacity or lacks the character to do it, that they still admire it, that they still praise it, that they see it as praiseworthy. So that even if they can't do it themselves, that they still see it as praiseworthy. That has to be built in. Uh, um, and again, this goes back to C.S. Lewis, who complained about it. We make men with, uh, we sneer at heroism and then are surprised when we make men with hollow chests, that is men who lack uh, masculine virtues, men who lack heroism, uh, lack courage. Um, so this is not a new thing I'm talking about, but I think it's worse than it's that's ever been in this civilization, in this American culture. Um, you have to have that to have a healthy society. And the lack of it is going to tell in a lot of ways, and the ways are all going to be bad. If self-sacrifice is not something to aspire to, then there's no reason why men who are physically strong shouldn't use that strength to get what they want in any way they can. If you don't believe in heroism, if you don't believe in self-sacrifice, if you don't believe in sublimating your aggression to the good of your family and society, then that means you can do anything you want. You can use that aggression any way you want. 
And the solution that's being thrown around by like Michael Ian Black this last week is to throw away aggression. That oh, we have to breed aggression out of out of boys. I'm like, no, that's it's never going to work. Ever, 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 ever. You can't breed aggression out of males. Aggression comes from testosterone. Aggression comes from innate biological traits. You can't breed it out of males. All you can do is train them how. Teach them why. Show them that, yes, you're aggressive, but if you use it in the right way for the right reasons, it's a good and noble thing. And if you use it in the wrong way for the wrong reasons, it's a base and despicable thing. So they learn that, so they act that out. That's what you have to do. It just is. And all these pretenses that you can erase it are just going to erase heroism, are just going to erase nobility, are just going to erase self-sacrifice. It's dangerous and it's destructive. Um, and so I think that I am given hope only by the number of people I have seen who are currently working in the pulp revolution primarily, uh, Superversive SF, um, and other associated groups I've seen around, people who believe in heroism, who believe in heroes, and who believe in writing stories about them, that gives me hope that at least there's an alternative to the um, propaganda that's pushing um, cowardice, that's pushing um, all of the useless, uh, useless tales we're pumping out, the repetitive... Um, pretty, you know, nice movies that look great, that have lots of things happening, but their moral core is, is hollow. Um, so I forgot how I got on that, but that's all true. <laughs> it sure is. The, the frame of reference that I use, my mental model to understand what's going on with the Marvels and the Disneys and right now is that they no longer are trying to create culture uh, or stories they're creating a product just think of the marvel movies as another product because that's how they think of it uh i i just heard a, an interesting uh, snippet of an interview yesterday be between uh this really smart guy who was talking about how he loves all the old Disney movies. You know, a lot of them are based off of fairy tales, but they, they told really interesting stories. And of course the artwork was beautiful too. Um, stories that sort of resonate with, you know, young boys and girls, uh, stuff like the little mermaid or beauty and the beast, or even the older stuff like snow white. And it was, it was really interesting contrast between that and, and the sort of stories that we're getting today. Uh, because the guys writing comic books were just writing fun superheroes, and they wanted to sell their, you know, their their cheap uh, printed books out, and so it was it was a product as much as it was a story. They they wanted to write interesting stories and make colorful characters, uh, but you know they needed to eat too. I think it's the same thing with the movies. Like uh, you know, Star Wars is. It's a product. It's a it's a IP. It's a license. And whatever Disney comes out with, people are going to spend a lot of money on, except for the merchandise. <laughs> yeah, toy sales have fallen off a cliff uh, after 
um, Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Okay, we, we're way over time here, but um, I want to so, say one so, thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was about to ask you what your uh, what your final thoughts on Marvel's latest uh, <clears throat> product for mass consumption is. Uh, I think that Daryl and the Grandmaster was absolutely a great video, and that Daryl and Thor uh, was also absolutely great, and they're both linked uh, in the description. You should definitely go see that. Daryl and the Grandmaster is a brand new Marvel movie that was released just this week, literally yesterday, and also Black Panther was pretty good, too. <laughs> yeah, Black Panther was okay. I think it's I think it's uh, mediocre garbage elevated by some good acting. Um, I I'd I'd maybe recommend a matinee if you like your Marvel movies. Um, my last thoughts are this: I think people are going are hungry. They want heroes. They want admirable characters. They want brave and commanding and masculine heroes, men. I'm not saying women can't be heroes, but I'm saying that specifically in this culture, we have a dearth of strong masculine heroes. That didn't used to be the case. It's become the case over the last 10, 15 years with the exceptions that I noted. So now that I've given you all the asterisks, now that I've given you all the caveats, now that I've given you all the addendums, I think people are hungry for that. I think uh, women and men are hungry for that. I think there is a clear opportunity for people who are talented and bold and brave enough to shake off the mental and moral shackles imposed by American, modern American pop geek culture. Shake off the shackles, ignore what they tell you is important, ignore what they tell you is moving, ignore what they tell you you ought to do. Reach back to the great stories of the past and reach inside yourself. Figure out what stories touch you, what stories move you, what stories inspire you. Learn what heroism is. Learn what heroes are. And if you're a creator, if you're a writer or whatever, people are hungry for those kinds of stories, and those are exactly the kinds of stories they're not getting. This is what's known as a market opportunity. You have the opportunity to provide books and stories and whatever that they're not going to be getting in other places. So if you're talented enough, if you're bold enough, if you're willing to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the whining, shrieking people who will tell you that what you're making is evil, just... Ignore that. Cast all of it off. Don't worry about anything they tell you to worry about. Worry about visceral, moving, thrilling, exciting stories of genuine heroes. That is what masculine heroes, that is what we are hungry for today. And we'll only get hungrier for as time goes on. People need, they need that in their lives. And if they can't find it someplace else, but they can find it in your work, then that's a big opportunity for you. Plus, as an added benefit, you'll make your life better, 
you make the lives of people around you better, and you will do something to make society as a whole better. It's a good idea all the way around. Just a suggestion, right? Suggestion looking at where our civilization has fallen down recently and what maybe you could do if you're a creator to add something positive to the world, add something moving to the world, add something exciting to the world, something that touches your audience, something that moves your audience, something that grabs them on a level that they're not even aware of. Have all these built up biases and neuroses, right? Because that's what social justice is. It's a series of programmed neuroses added on top of it that you have to pay attention to every single time you write a story. People have those neuroses piled on top. You can cut through all of them with true stories of true heroes. So tell the truth, be honest with what honor is, what nobility is, what human beings are, what masculinity is, and you can make great stuff that moves people. You're not guaranteed to be successful, but you're never guaranteed to be successful, and it's worth taking a chance on. All right, we're signing off. I'm way past time here. We thank, uh, thank everyone for coming in. We thank most of the people in the chat for coming in uh, to the show. Um, appreciate everyone who listens live. Appreciate everyone who will down the download the show later. Uh, by the way, if you want to download this show uh, or watch us live, we're on youtube.com slash geekgab. We're here about every week, just about this time. By all means, come in, subscribe, um, click the little bell icon to get announcements, double secret subscribe, and be sure to like if you uh, really enjoy this, uh, this show. Or you can subscribe to us through Apple iTunes, or you can subscribe to us through the Google Play Store, or you can subscribe to us through soundcloud.com because we are here for you. We are here for the audience. We are supporting you. In whatever platform you feel the need, we are available. And uh, we're signing off for today, folks. We are leaving you. Next week, we are planned to have El Jaggi Lamplighter Wright, the author on the show, Barring unusual events next week uh, at the same time. Thank you for tuning in. We're signing off for now. But don't you worry. We will be back.